0: We talked last week about this story uh, of David and his son Absalom. And, and if you weren't with us, I, I, I'll talk a little bit more about it. But I, I want to dive in again here. Second Samuel chapter 12, if you want to follow along. If you don't have your own Bible, by the way, we, we put books out here. We put Bibles out here. Uh, we sow seed into the kingdom. We believe when we resource people of the kingdom To grow the church, there's going to be incredible harvest that comes from that. So our our church, that's one of the things we invest in. We believe in sowing seed into God's people for them to grow and connect and take that next level step in their faith and walking in obedience to the Father. And so there's a lot of resources we put out there. Uh, One of them is the resource, the Bible. So if you don't have one, you can grab one. Uh, We love for people to, you know, have one and engage with it on a Sunday uh, and follow along. We think that's powerful when you're engaging with his word. We know it's living and active, and it is moving in these moments. So 2 Samuel chapter 12. And and like I said, some of this is just going to be a little refresher from last week if you were with us. But David, the king, a man after God's own heart, something had happened in his life. There was this moment where in the spring, it says kings went out to war. This was a part of culture. This is a part of what you did. When it was springtime, you went to war. In the winter, all the kings agreed, it's too cold. Let's just stay home by the fire. Nobody's fighting in the winter, all right? But once it starts getting a little warmer, we're going to fight, all right? That's what kings did. It says when it was springtime, the kings would go out to war as they did. One spring, David stayed home. And we look at that, and we would say, that's not a sin, but it was an act of disobedience. It's not a sin to stay home, but are you avoiding something that God is telling you to do? There are sins of omission. We get really caught up in the sins when we kind of look at it and say, oh, you did that, or you did this. We don't talk a lot about the sins of omission, where you didn't do this. You didn't listen to his voice. You didn't obey what he had told you to do. You didn't go when he said go. You didn't move when he said move. And so David, he had stayed home at a time when he was supposed to go, when he was supposed to move. And because of that, he's out on his roof. He sees this lady named Bathsheba taking a bath on a roof, and he decides, I want her, and he takes her and she becomes pregnant with his child, and so he hatches a plan to have her husband killed and to make her another woman, another man's wife, to make her his wife. He's the king. He's the most powerful person in the kingdom. He can do what he wants. I, I, I mean, just look at our world today. We see it with politicians, right? We, we know what they're doing. We hear about it all the time, more than ever, we hear about it all the time, but does anything change, does anything happen? No, 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 they just continue to do what they want, no matter who confronts them. In fact, if you confront them now, we're, become, we're getting into a place in our culture where we're starting to see people imprisoned for even saying something urgent. You're starting to see people canceled for even speaking out against a behavior or an action or words spoken by a leader in this country. And so David, he has that kind of power. We think, oh, you know, we don't understand that in our world today. We're we're in a democracy. No, no, no. Things are shifting in our world constantly. And so David, he has the power. And so everyone knows what he's done. It's no secret. In fact, his servants, when he said, hey, bring her to be with me, they even said, just so you know, that is Uriah the Hittite's wife. And he said, I don't care. Bring her to me and they did. Everyone knows what had happened. And so Nathan the prophet, he was sent by the Lord to tell David this story. And he tells him this story. It's a parable. And I, I didn't put it up here, but now I'm kind of wishing I had, so I'm just going to read it for you. Chapter 12, verse 1. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, of which he had many, He took the poor man's one lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Here's where we'll pick up up here. Verse 5, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel, and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? We we just treat sin so lightly now. We don't even like to talk about sin. We just like to say, oh, I messed up. I oh, it was a mistake. Ah, oh, it was just a little thing, you know, just a little slip-up. When we sin, we're despising the word of the Lord. Don't forget, the word became flesh. That's Jesus. When we sin, we are looking at the Son of God and saying, I, I, I despise you. That, that, that's what, our, our, it's a conscious choice to look at the Son of God. We take this too lightly. We're just like, oh, phew, it's no big deal. Everyone's doing it, everyone messes up. It, it, it's okay, and we just kind of coast along and just sit in our sins and act like it's normal, but every time we do it, we're not just despising a book. This book, his word, is living and active because it is him. It's Jesus in the flesh. Nathan tells the king this. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me. There's that connection. You didn't just despise a book. You didn't just despise the law or some rules or some words on a page. You despised me because the law is the will of the Lord. It's a part of him. You cannot separate the law from who God is. We want to. Like, wouldn't that be great? If we, could just, if we could just have God and just have grace, but we could just kind of separate out the law over here, and that's what we're doing today. That's what the church is constantly doing today. We're saying, no, 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 no. Now we just got, we got Jesus, we got God, we got just the New Testament. The Old Testament doesn't matter. No, 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 it's a part of him. It is him. It's who he is. It's his will for us. He didn't just give us a list of arbitrary laws and rules to follow because he's cruel. No, no. He is perfect and holy. He gave it to us to reveal a part of him of who he is and his holiness. And yet we despise that part of him. You can't have him without who he is. You can't make him in your own image because that's exactly what we do. When we despise his word and what it says, we are making God in our own image. We are making a different Jesus. Paul says that, that, that some preach a different Jesus in 2 Corinthians. That's what the church has begun to do because we know our message, this message he's given us, it, it doesn't line up with the message of the world right now. It's not very seeker-friendly. In the church world, that's what, you know, church leaders and pastors, they talk about this a lot. We just want to be seeker-friendly. The least seeker-friendly thing you can do is hide the truth from the people who are looking for the truth. That's the last thing we should do. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Healing and restoration and freedom only comes through his truth. But we've made God into our own image and we've separated God. We've done exactly what the Israelites did. When Moses was up on the mountain speaking with God and they hadn't seen Moses in days, what did the Israelites and Aaron do? They made a golden calf and they called that golden calf Yahweh. They called it by God's name. They said, This is him. We can still worship him. They really believed that they were worshiping the same God that had delivered them out of Egypt. They didn't think, oh, we're worshiping a golden calf. They didn't name it Milky or Mooey. I don't know. I don't have any great cow names right now. Anybody that's owned a cow, I'm sure you would never name your cow Milky or Mooey, but that's a stupid cow name. But that's what they did. They called it Yahweh because they were making God in their own image That they were comfortable with, that they could see, that they could understand, and that fit in with their worldview. Because the worldview they just came out of, that was what you did. You created an an idol, and, and you created your God into some type of image so you could see him, so you could touch him, so you could pick him up, so you could move him around, so you could take him with you. So you could have that power, that control. That's what we've done today with the church. The church in the West, there's a lot of us, we, we still go to church, we still worship, but we're worshiping a different Jesus. We're worshiping a different God. We're worshiping a golden calf compared to who he actually is and what his word says and describes him as. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. There's consequences for our sin, for our actions. I will give your wives to another man before your eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David killed Nathan. Nathan. No, he could have. He could have. He could have thrown him in jail. He could have killed him. He could have done whatever he wanted. He's the king. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. There's a lot of different theories that people have on why David is described as a man after God's own heart. When I look at the life of David, I always come back to this story right here. When he sinned, when he was confronted with it, he chose to confess and repent. When Saul was confronted with his sin, the king before him, he chose to hide and deny. Do you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? What will you do today? What will you do today when you open God's word and he reveals his truth to you about who he is and the desires of his heart for you, for your life, for your family's life? Will you hide and deny? Or will you confess and repent and seek after him and draw near to him? When you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. But we just want to keep God at a distance. Because it's a lot safer when we're further away. The closer we get to the heart of God, the closer we get to the will of God, the more we start to realize, boy, I'm going to look really crazy to the outside world. I'm putting a lot at risk here. I'm laying down all my idols that I've built up, everything I've chased after in this world. As you walk in obedience to him, there are things he's going to ask you and call you to lay down and trust him with. And that's a scary thing. It's easier to keep him further away. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord by doing this. Don't forget, this isn't just for David. It's so easy for us to look at this story and say, yeah, David screwed up. (sighs) I've never shown utter contempt for the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit right now. Have I shown utter contempt for you? You'll hear it. It's coming up inside you. Yes. Yes. Each and every one of us in here, we have shown utter contempt for him. We have. We've done this. Don't just look at this and say, that was David, or that was this person, or or even in our world today. Don't just look at this and say, yeah, I know exactly who Alex is talking about. No, no, no. I'm talking about myself. This past week, I I had moments where I showed utter contempt for the Lord because I knew there was something he was speaking to me to do, to be obedient in. And I was like, I I don't want to do that. That might hurt their feelings. That might that might not go over very well. I don't want to say that. There's things he tells me to say sometimes, and I'm like, just give me three months. And he say, no, just do it now. <laughs> like, I want to wait three months. I'm not ready for that right now. I'm not ready to have that conversation. I'm not ready to tell this person what it is you're telling me to say right now in this moment. But for some of you in here, and once again, myself included, some of you in here, he's telling you, I need a Nathan. Like, there's some of you in here, you're supposed to be a Nathan for somebody. Do you think Nathan really wanted to step into that courtroom and deliver that message? I don't think he did. I don't think he was super excited and just like, man, I'm ready, let's go. I'm going to just blast the king today. And he might, you know, cut my head off. He might, you know, put me on a stake. I don't care. It's going to be fun. I don't, know if, I don't know if Nathan was feeling that that day. But he obeyed. He listened and obeyed and he stepped into that. There's conversations as believers that he's telling you to go and have and you think, oh, he'll send somebody else. He it, 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 He's got another prophet. He's got somebody else that can do that. He's got somebody else that can deliver that message. I'll just invite this friend to church, and Alex will say it for me. Alex will say the hard thing that I don't want to say out loud, that I know the Holy Spirit has told me exactly I need to say. With my mom, with my sister, with my dad, with my brother, with that friend from work. Alex will say it. Nathan will say it. God will send a Nathan into their life. No, no, no. If he told you, listen. If he gave you a word to give, don't hold it back. Don't hold it inside. Be obedient and step into what he's called you to do. Don't let the fear of man hold you back from listening to the Lord. Because I'll tell you what, I... I'm willing to bet that Nathan was scared and afraid, but I think he was more scared and afraid of not doing what God said rather than what David could do to him. And some of us, we fear more what men will do to us, what people will say about us, what the culture around us will think if we say what we know God is telling us to say. We fear man more than we fear the living God. We do. I struggle with it. We want to be liked, right? Like at the core and at the heart. We want to be liked by people. That's what fear of man comes from. We want to be liked and accepted, not rejected. And we know it's a risk to actually step into obedience to what God calls us to do and to say. And most of us, we lean more towards the fear of man than we do the fear of God. Second Samuel fourteen, verse twenty five. This is the words of Nathan coming to pass in David's life. There's strife and there's conflict in his family. One of his sons, Amnon, took his sister and took advantage of her. And David did nothing about it. Another one of his sons, Absalom, took revenge for himself and had Amnon killed. And then went away for two years into hiding because he was worried about what his father might do. But eventually, he works his way back in and David lets him come back near to the kingdom. And it says this here. Chapter 14, verse 25. Now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. He cut his hair only once a year, and then only because it was so heavy. When he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. He had three sons and one daughter. His daughter's name was Tamar, after his sister, and she was very beautiful. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years, but he never got to see the king. Then Absalom sent for Joab to ask him to intercede for him, but Joab refused to come. Absalom sent for him a second time, but again, Joab refused to come. So Absalom said to his servants, go and set fire to Joab's barley field, the field next to mine. So they set his field on fire, as Absalom had commanded. Joab was the same person that went to the king and interceded for Absalom to be let back in. Joab was the one person that went to the king, and and basically he hatched this whole plan to get the king to convince him to let Absalom come home and to not be in hiding anymore. What does Absalom do to Joab? He sets his field on fire because that's not enough. That's not enough for him. He wants more. So finally, it says, Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, why did your servant set my field on fire? And Absalom replied, because I wanted to ask the king why he brought me back from Geshur if he didn't intend to see me. I might as well have stayed there. Let me see the king if he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said. Then at last, the king summoned Absalom who came and bowed low before the king and a king kissed him. What's going on here? There, there's so much. I, first of all, there's a reason the Bible gives you descriptions. Like every detail in the Bible that you might look at and you say, that's kind of weird or that's strange, it's important for a reason. Absalom's beauty and who he was, it's a part of him. It became a part of his identity. And it became a part of how the people around him viewed him and saw him. There was respect and admiration that came along with that beauty, with that strength, with who he was. You saw it with Saul. That's why people wanted Saul for king. When they saw him at first, they saw he is tall, he's strong, he's handsome. We look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. What does Absalom do here? He brings Joab in and he says, the king won't even see me. Tell him I want to see him or I'd be better off dead. He might as well execute me if I can't be seen with him. He cared more about his status than his life. He cared more about his status among the people than his own life. His life was worth nothing to him without having the same stature and respect and power that he had before. That's what he cared about here. There are moments when you're going to see that and notice that. Now that you're seeing that here in Absalom's life, there's moments now that you're going to see that, either in your own life or people around you, and you're going to realize, I'm living more for the world and the status that I have in it than I am for an eternal life, a life with the Lord. That's the difference between the fear of man and the fear of the Lord. Are you seeking to build your own status, to build your own kingdom? Or are you seeking to build his? So David let him come back in, and he kissed him. After this, chapter 15, verse 1, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning, and he went out to the gate of the city When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their case to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. He's sowing seeds of rebellion and disobedience. This is what he's doing. He's sitting at the gate. He's sitting at the door, and he is sowing seeds of rebellion and disobedience. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. So he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says this in verse 12 but I will continue doing what I've always done. These are the words of Paul. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast about that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles, false teachers. But I'm not surprised. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ, but I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Satan appears as an angel of light. As I read Absalom's description and I sit here looking at what he did to sow seeds of rebellion and disobedience into God's kingdom, what did he do? He appeared as an angel of light. He looked good on the outside. When people saw him, they said, He looks good. He looks like a king. He looks beautiful. And he says what I want him to say. He hears me. He listens to me. He does what I want. That's the kind of king I want on the throne. That's what Satan does. Those are the seeds Satan is sowing in our culture right now. And he is using false teachers, false apostles. In our world today, you're going to see messages and you're going to hear preachers and you're going to see stuff go viral on the internet where these people are going to tell you things. It's going to sound good. It's going to line up with what the world is saying. But if it doesn't line up with the word, it's a lie from Satan who disguises himself as an angel of light. He looks good. But I'm telling you today, don't even let him sit at your gate. Don't give him access to the kingdom of God because that is what dwells within you. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, he sits on the throne of your heart. But if you give access to the enemy, to sow seeds of rebellion and disobedience at your gate, at your eyes, at your mouth, at your ears, he's going to find a way in. And those seeds, they grow. We think, oh, it's just harmless. It's just a TV show I like. It's just a movie I like. It's just one show. It's just one movie. Oh, it's just an artist I like to listen to. I really connect with her. But would you take a second and start to actually look at the things that you're taking in? Would you take a second to actually look at the words you're reading or the lyrics you're singing back when you go to these concerts and you sing these words out loud? Would you look at them? Because they all appear as angels of light, right? In our culture, we look at celebrities, we look at performers, and we say, man, that's amazing, that's great. That's the goal right there. We want to be like them. In fact, we even think it's great when they profess Christ, when they, when they say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. Are they preaching a different Jesus than what the Word is preaching? take everything back to God's word. When you look at the messages and the lyrics that they're writing and that they're singing and they're talking about in interviews and you look at their words, can you line them up with the word of God and will they hold true? This is the only thing that's unshakable. This is it. This is the only firm foundation we have to stand on. If it doesn't line up with this, it's from the enemy. He's trying to sow seeds of disobedience and rebellion in our hearts. Don't let him sit at the gate. Don't tolerate him. Don't give him access. Worship team, I'm going to invite you guys up as we close here. Matthew 13, 24 through 26. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept... His enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. This is what Absalom was doing. He was planting weeds among the wheat in the kingdom, and then he slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. Is there an Absalom in your life that you're tolerating? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Is there somebody that you've given access to in your life and you've let them sit at your gate, but all they're doing day after day is sowing seeds of rebellion and disobedience towards the kingdom and his word. Titus 3.10 says this, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. David let Absalom sit at the gate and he sowed seeds of division and eventually he rose up against David to try to take the crown, to try to take the kingdom. The Bible warns us about what we tolerate, what we put up with. Titus says, have nothing to do with them. And we think, well, I'm supposed to be a Christian to them. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to give them an example. I'm supposed to, this is how, this is my ministry. Are you ministering to them? Are you being a Nathan in their life? Or are you just sitting there and listening to them? And letting them sow their seed without ever sowing the word of God back into their life. Don't tolerate Absalom at your gate. Revelation 2, verse 13, says this. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. Where Satan has his throne. Yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate Some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to trip up God's people to sow this seed for the weeds to grow because it's hard to run through a field of weeds. You'll get tripped up. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and then by committing Sexual sin. He taught them to tolerate these things. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. These people were in the church, and they were following this teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit. That's my prayer today, that we would just listen to the Spirit. Listen to Him in this moment. As we begin to worship, listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, that sword that is cutting between spirit and soul, bone and marrow. Listen to Him in this moment. Open God's Word and discern what it is He's saying to you. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. He's going to give you a new name today. Stop letting Absalom sit at your gate. Stop tolerating what is evil. Stop celebrating what is evil. Stop taking pride in what is evil. Proverbs 8, 13, all who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Do we hate what is evil? Jude 23, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others. Be a Nathan. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. How do you do that? Use the word. Speak the word in truth and grace and love. It's not love to stay quiet. It's love to speak the truth in love and grace. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others But do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. We don't hate people, but the sins and the lies of the enemy that he has convinced them to believe. He's convinced people to identify with, to say, this is who I am. This is who I was born to be. This is who I'll always be. It's a lie from the enemy. Ephesians 6:12, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We don't preach a different Jesus. We don't make God in our own image. We have to stop tolerating Absalom at the gate.